With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, that time of the week where we look ahead to the upcoming week of college football action. Uh, week, is it 10 or 11? Gosh, I'm losing track when we get up this high. Uh, but football season is quickly quickly dwindling on us, college football season. And last week, you had another, well, I'd say I mean, it was good enough. You were 7 and 8, I was 5 and 10, unfortunately. You now hold a 30-point lead in the confidence points as... A, uh, you noticed a uh, tabulation error, unintentional, of course, uh, and I don't know, might be hard to make up, but let's give it a shot for this week. We begin in West Lafayette, where Purdue finds themselves as a 13-point favorite, and for reasons I still can't explain, I took Illinois, only putting five points on them. Yeah, I don't know what to think here. You know, I mean, Purdue's offense has... Uh, essentially gone into a nuclear winter since we've gotten into Big Ten play. But that's where Illinois' program is. So I'll say Purdue comes out, plays great for them um, after a couple of heartbreaking losses in a row. And I'll put it on Purdue, but I'm only going to put five points on it. Northwestern is at Nebraska, and that game began as a pick 'em. I'm not sure where the line is right now, but last I saw, Northwestern was favored by one. Okay, which is pretty amazing. If if you would have told me back in 2011 when Nebraska was joining the Big Ten, not that they were juggernauts at that point in time, that here we would be where Nebraska is going to be favored in Lincoln, or that the Northwestern would be favored in Lincoln. I, I wouldn't have bought it. You know, I did this to I did this with mixed mixed success earlier in the uh, Pickham season. I'm gonna go back to the well here. I'm gonna put 15 on the Huskers coming off their uh, comeback victory at Purdue. I mean, granted, it wasn't a comeback victory at the Horseshoe, but it is what it is. I'll take Nebraska to cover this Pickham to win it, and 15 on the Huskers. Yeah, I don't really have a good read on this game. So I'm with you I, I, on Nebraska winning, but I'm only putting six points on it because we are starting to see that typical Northwestern second-half surge. Um, but Nebraska's just so mercurial. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure which Nebraska team will show up. I, I've been following some people in the college football media who are – tweeting about Nebraska fans are getting nervous that they might win enough games to keep their head coach. I, I don't see that happening. I mean, you've got a AD coming in there who's pushing 70. He's not going to waste an entire year on Mike Riley. So 
I mean, if he wins out, I don't think they'll have a coaching change. You know, they're going to get rid of him with an eight and four record. I just think the odds of him winning out are not very high. I think that if, say, they lose one game down the stretch and they win seven games and they can't get Scott Frost, say Scott Frost goes to Tennessee or Florida, and Florida mm-hmm. Florida has a job opening since we you know did this last week. If they can't get Frost and Riley goes seven and five. I could see them keeping him one more year. Um, even then, it's a stretch. But I, I, I do think that there's got to already have been some back-channel conversations initiated between Nebraska and Scott Frost to gauge the interest. I mean, don't you think that that has to have taken place? I would think. You know, um, Bill Moose, their new AD, was on uh, 1620 The Zone there in Omaha this week. And he openly talked about Scott Frost. And yeah, is with him. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure there has been some of that, but um, I, I think anything short of winning out, they cannot bring him back. I, I think the only difference between Mike Riley and Butch Jones, although Butch Jones' circumstances could be changing with an investigation going on that he potentially played a guy with a concussion which if you're the Tennessee AD, you're almost going to hope there's evidence of that. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah, so you can get, your, yeah, so you can get out of that buyout and just fire him for just cause, right? Yeah. But um, in, in this case, you know, you don't have the really grating and annoying one-liners about champions of life and leadership reps and all that. You know, we did it. We, we did everything right, but scored touchdowns. Well, that was Rich Rodriguez, but I yeah, I, I remember that. Mike Riley is savvy enough, and, and that you know he doesn't serve up those sorts of uh, social media pariah, viral comments. But their fan base has moved on. They're done. Uh, yeah, they're done. They can't bring him back, and unless they do something momentous like finish, you know, with eight wins. Right, and with regard, and think about the fact we just said Nebraska finishing with eight wins is momentous. Think right, about that. Right. I think if you bring Riley back you almost have a year and a half or two years of a lame duck coach. Uh, this this week they lost their top recruit who yep. opened his commitment up. He's not the first one, uh, but he's the top one. I, I just think if you bring him back, it's a it's a it's a whole it's it's two recruiting cycles of lame duck and I don't know that you can afford that. Uh, not many programs can, certainly not Nebraska at this juncture in time. Maryland I think I think AD's John, this is the first year with the early signing period in December. Which, by the way, I think is terrible, and I don't like. I'm all for an early signing period. But if you're going to do an early signing period, they ought to do it like they do in basketball, where there's one in November, so players can sign before the season starts and just get it out of the way if they want. So to me, you do one the you know, right after Labor Day. Wednesday after Labor Day in September. Players want to sign early and go on with the rest of their senior season? Great. If not, then let the process play out. The timing of this is terrible for players. And ADs are going to have to come to grips with their recruiting classes are going to completely disintegrate if they don't make decisions quickly. When you let a Butch Jones or a Mike Riley, back in the day you could let them wither on the vine, take an extra six to eight weeks, coming up with the buyout, talking to boosters. You're not going to be able to do that with the early signing period in December now. You're just not. Yeah, you were the first one to bring that up, and I think that's a, a pretty smart observation. Rutgers is at home against Maryland, and you know I, I've just been wrong on Maryland all year long. I'm going to go ahead and take them this week. I'm going to lay some wood. 
14 points on the Terrapins is what I'm putting on them. Uh, favored by two at Rutgers. I'm going to take Rutgers in a mild upset. Only put three points on it, though, so it's not really that bold of a pick. A lot of weird games here this week. Uh, Wisconsin. I don't like this slate of games. I actually have a lot of games around the country this week that I like in my personal picks, but almost none of them are on this board. Uh, there's a couple of them, and, and the ones that are on this board are like the games that are at the lower half of my own personal board, but I had to put a ton of points on them because, you know, they were I liked them more than some of the other games. So I think this is a difficult overall slate of games. Plus, I think it's a great week for totals, and um, I'm playing a lot of those this week, but obviously we don't do totals so i'm not all that confident yeah you're like yeah you're you're doubly hedging your bets if you suck i like that wisconsin is at indiana (laughs) (laughs) and wisconsin's a nine and a half point favorite at indiana i'm gonna take indiana and six wisconsin just has not impressed me now this is the type of game where you can envision their running game exerting its will against an indiana team but you know indiana's played some solid defense at times this year they did against Michigan, actually, even though, you know, Michigan, Karan Higdon had over 200 yards rushing in that game uh, for the Wolverines. But I'm going to put six points on the Hoosiers to cover that line just because I'm not a fan of their Wisconsin's quarterback, Alex Hornibrook, and they just haven't put an offensive game together in a while. Well, I told you a few weeks ago, I, I just don't have a bead on Wisconsin. I will say this, all of the Sharps that I follow for their opinion – are on Indiana. And yet this line, which with the opening line that we have, is at nine and a half. I think it's up to 13 now. I mean, the public is pounding Wisconsin in this game. But most of the Sharps that I follow and respect are of your opinion, even though all the trends in this series favor Wisconsin. And most, I mean, they they just name the score against Indiana almost every time they play. But I'm going to go ahead and go with... uh, some of the sharps that I follow and go with, with with your pick in Indiana, but I'm only putting four points on it because Indiana's got some quarterback problems as well. We don't know if Peyton Ramsey's going to be healthy enough to play, and I think it's different when you've got the, the guy back there who's the statue um, than if you've got the guy who can make some plays in the open field with his legs. Michigan's at home against Minnesota. I'm going to put 13 in the Wolverines to cover the 14-and-a-half because I just – I mean – I just don't know that Minnesota is going to score. Maybe seven, maybe three, no more than ten. And I think Michigan's got enough to get 24, uh, 27. So I'm going to take Michigan minus 14.5 against Minnesota. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way on this only because, um, well, not only. There's several reasons. First of all, I think the under in this game, even though the total is only 41, I like the under Oh, sure, yeah. And – you have two young quarterbacks, um, one of them making his first start in Michigan's case, even though he basically played the whole game last week. Rain is expected again, so Michigan looks like they may have two night games this year, and both of them were inclement weather. I, there has been rain holding up a Michigan football game once like in 20 years, I can think of. We're going to have two of them, it looks like, this year. Um, and both of them were the night games. Michigan's quicker kicker, Quinn Nordine, may be out. Michigan's best offensive lineman, Michael Onwenu, who has just been road grading people in the running game for the last month, he may be out. So throw in the young quarterbacks. I think this is an ugly game. 
I do. I, I, I think it's going to look somewhat like Iowa's game last week with Minnesota. Um, so I'm going to take Minnesota and the points. I think it's going to be something like 20 to 7, 21 to 10, something like that. Penn State's at Michigan State. By the way, Michigan has not covered a home game this year, hmm. by the way. They were a covering machine last year. Penn State yep. minus 11.5 at Michigan State. I just think this is a letdown spot for Penn State. Now, this number has been bet down since the 11.5 to open it. Uh, and, and Michigan State's coming off a tough loss, too. But I think it could just be a, a, an ugly stick kind of game. And, and Mark D'Antonio usually does well in those. I'm going to put seven on Michigan State. Yeah, I'm with you. And this is another game where the public is pounding one way and the sharps I follow like the other. They love Michigan State. And I, and the problem I think you have here with Penn State is you lose a game like that. But it's not just the letdown after a game like that. Do not forget, they played their – I mean, the, the, the upset they had over Ohio State last year was bigger than this Michigan game was, okay, in terms of impact. But, in ter- but, but they weren't expected to win that game last year. In, in terms of pregame buildup, that was the biggest home game for Penn State in recent memory against Michigan. And they played basically a perfect game. And then they come back for what is really the game of the year in the Big Ten and, and essentially lose a heartbreaker after blowing a big lead. I think your tank's empty after that, man. I do. I, 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 don't, I think Michigan State – there might be five guys on Michigan State that would start for Penn State. But this is the 11 a.m., sleepy atmosphere. Hit Like you said, hits you with an ugly stick. Total letdown. Two massive trends here. Mark D'Antonio in his career is just is, – is, it's, it's a Bill Snyder type of trend in both revenge games and as an underdog. And don't forget, yeah, they were 3-9 and nine last year, but they covered as an underdog against Michigan. They covered as an underdog against Ohio State. So I, I, I think this is a game where Penn State probably makes a play or two at the end to win. But I'm taking Sparty and the points. In fact, I'm putting 14 on Michigan State. West Virginia is at home. Three and a half point favorites against number 15, Iowa State. Um, you know, Iowa State is packing a defense this year. Uh, statistically the best defense in the Big 12 Conference. And they've they've had a big upset, obviously, at Oklahoma, and they backed it up with a big upset at home against TCU, something that really in the history of their program, don't know if they've ever done something like that. Uh, what was it? They've, they've had three wins against top five teams all time, and they did two of those in, in October this month. October 2017 right. is the biggest, the, the biggest month in the history of Iowa State's football program. I don't think there's any No debate. doubt. No doubt. I'm going to take Iowa State. I'm not going to put a lot of points on it. I'm not confident. But I've liked what I've seen from them. I'm going to put two points on them to be bigger than this moment for really the first time in program history this season. I'm splitting the baby in half here. I'm taking Iowa State, and I'm putting point total right in the middle. Because to me, this is the game, I think. Last week, they won the game they never win. All right, That next-level game. They won that game last week. And, you know, they're the only team um, in college football that can say right now they've got two top ten wins. Think about that. I mean, that's crazy, and we're into November now. But I think now that they've reached the next level, now I think it's time to find out if this is a really cool season 
or if this is Northwestern 1995 Team of Destiny kind of stuff. And if you look at Northwestern 95 and Iowa State so far this year, there's some really interesting similarities. I was just thinking about this this morning. Darnell Autry, the running back, David Montgomery, the guy who, you know, the running back kind of carried the team. Uh, Schnur, the, the, the quarterback, was, you know, okay, game manager, solid guy, didn't beat you, didn't turn it over a lot, unflappable. That's kind of Colin Kemp's game for Iowa State. Um, you know, Iowa State has something that that Northwestern team did yeah, not receivers. have. Yeah, with those receivers. But even you even look at Joel Lanning. Joel Lanning right now is Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Well, who was on that Northwestern team who was Big 10 Defensive Player of the Year? Pat Fitzgerald. Pat Fitzgerald, middle linebacker. It's The similarities are something, okay? Um, they didn't – now, that Northwestern team, they didn't have to play Ohio State that year, and that was a great Ohio State team. Eddie George, Terry Glenn, Orlando Pace, um, Bobby Hoying at quarterback. I mean, that was some kind of Ohio State team that year. They didn't have to play them, and so the two teams shared the championship. And because Northwestern had not been to the Rose Bowl in the longer in the longer drought, they got to go. Um, but you know, they beat Notre Dame, they beat Michigan, um, they won both those games on the road. You know, um, similar to beating TCU and Oklahoma. I think this is the game that decides: is this a really nice season? Or is this Northwestern 95? Is this Wake Forest, what was it, back in 2004 or 2006 where they won the ACC and went to the Orange Bowl? I think this is the game we find out. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I think we're going to find out Saturday. Because I think if they win here, I do think they'll come home and beat Oklahoma State coming off an emotional game against Oklahoma at home. I do think they'll do that. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Seen a lot of people this week complaining that the uh, Oklahoma State-Oklahoma Bedlam game, which is this week and not the year, the game at the end of the season, is an afternoon game where Michigan and Minnesota is a night game, but I've tweeted it out a couple times this week. If you look at the top 10 highest rated games this year from college football, I think seven of them involve Big Ten teams, and that's the reason why. Three of the top six are Michigan games, I believe. Yeah, Iowa, Penn State's in there. Uh, Number one was FSU Alabama in week one. Uh, I think that's the only Alabama game. I think there's only, what, three SEC games involved in there as well. Yeah, CBS is taking a bath because of just these games are just blowouts because with Alabama and now Georgia every week they're they're dying over there. 
Ohio or Oklahoma State rather finds themselves uh, as a three-point favorite the opening line against Oklahoma. The game is in Stillwater, which is why I'm going to take Oklahoma State putting three points on it. I'm going to take Oklahoma. This is going to be my 15-point game. And Oklahoma State just never wins this game when yeah, it matters to both right. teams. They can win it when it matters to one team, but they never win it. And I mean never, like ever, when it matters to both, ever. And I just had to ask, there's another game coming up later on. That, that In fact, there's two games coming up that I had to just ask myself this question. This is the rare year that Oklahoma State has the better defense and better running game. But I had to ask myself this question. It's, it's essentially a loser-leave-town match. It's an elimination game. And as, as good as Mason Rudolph is, who do you trust in an elimin- Who would you put your money on in an elimination game more? Mason Rudolph or Baker Mayfield? And that's why I'm going with Oklahoma. Right, right. Don't know if this can go wrong there. Um, Miami is a three-point favorite against Virginia Tech. I'm taking Miami to cover. They're at home, putting eight points on the Hurricanes. Yeah, this spread's moved quite a bit, actually. It's Virginia Tech now, I think, is favored by two. Mm. Um, but I'm going to take Miami here as well. Uh, I think they have a little team of destiny happening with them, too. They've had key injuries now for several weeks, and they're just finding that you know, Ohio State under Jim Trestle, just going to beat you 24 to 17 formula every week, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They kind of have that going on. And Virginia Tech looks good, but when you stop and think about it, Miami's actually played a better schedule. And I don't think Miami's schedule has been great. But, you know, the best win Virginia Tech has is West Virginia, first week of the year when Will Greer was debuting at quarterback and, and now West Virginia has lost a total of three games. So that win doesn't look as impressive as it did a month ago. I, I just think, I, I just think everybody's criticizing Miami because of their schedule. I think Virginia Tech isn't much better. And I think, I think it gives Mark Richt a chance to have a bit of a chip on the shoulder of his team when they're undefeated at home and they're an underdog. So I'm going to take Miami for that reason. Next up in this week's picks, TCU's at home against Texas. TCU's a seven-point favorite. I shouldn't have done this. I've taken TCU. I don't know why I did it now that I look at it and I put 12 points on them, but I can't change my pick. I think you're going to be right on this one. Well, by the way, I put 10 on Miami. I'm riding the Tom Herman trend, man. Until it stops, okay? 9-0 and against the spread as an underdog with five straight-up wins. I'm riding that. I'm, going, I'm taking the John Miller advice. Don't mess with the streak. So until somebody snaps it, I'm riding it, and I've got 13 on Texas. That could be the decider for this week. Uh, Alabama, 22-point favorites at home against LSU. I'm going to put four on Bam. I don't feel great about it. Here's the thing. You know, this is the biggest underdog that out that LSU has been since 1994. Wow. 1994 was the last time they were this big of an underdog. By the way, by the way, that was to Alabama too, and they won the game straight hmm. up. Um, LSU has not scored more than 17 points in Tuscaloosa since Nick Saban was the LSU coach. Hmm. 
This game, these games, uh, I think six of the last seven have gone under the total. Um, and the one that went over the total did so by just the total was fifty four. It was a fifty five point total, so it barely went over. You look at, I think, I think Nick Saban got exactly what he was hoping for with Georgia number one, exactly what he wanted. You know, he's looking for edges. He's looking sure. for ways to motivate his team. On the other hand. I think being an underdog of that magnitude for a program as proud and as great as LSU will be a motivating factor for them as well. Uh, I think you'll see their defense play their asses off like they did against Alabama last year when it was 0-0 going into the fourth quarter. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I think Alabama's going to win this something like 21-3, to 24-7, something like that. So I'll take LSU – with the points, but I'm only putting one point on it because I could even see it being 24 to nothing. Okay, I mean I don't think Alab- I don't think this is going to be 55 to 10, but I don't think LSU is going to be able to score too many points either. USC's at home against Arizona, eight point favorites. I'm putting 10 on Arizona to cover that line. I'm going to go the other way here with USC, um, and I'm putting 11. On the Trojans, because I liked what I saw, the way they came out with a hot Arizona State team on the road and took it to them. And now they get a hot Arizona team at home. And I really thought USC last week was in trouble. They They were out of the national championship race, and I really wondered about their motivation. And the way they came out against an Arizona State team uh, that had a lot of momentum going into that game, I think that's almost the exact scenario here. If, if The question for USC has always been, is winning the Pac-12 okay for them? If it is, they're still better than most of these teams physically. If it's not, then mentally they're going to check out. I think we got our answer last week. I think they've got enough athletes to at least make Khalil Tate have to throw the ball a little bit more. Uh, that he's probably more accustomed to. And I also think Sam Darnold's going to throw for like 400 yards in that Arizona defense. So I'm taking USC here. Washington State's at home. Two and a half point favorites against Stanford. Uncertain, at least when I made these picks yesterday, if Love, the running back for Stanford, was going to play or not. They said it was a game-time decision then. You probably know something I don't know because you called up war. I'm going to put 11 (laughs) on Washington State. This is one of the other games where I said earlier, there's another game where I just had to ask myself, where would I, what would I trust? And this is another elimination game in the Pac-12 North. This is loser leave town. And it's a revenge spot because Washington State went down to Palo Alto last year and shocked Stanford and really put it on them. So I had to ask myself, as much as I like Mike Leach, and he's a really good coach, similar to Mason Rudolph, he's a really good quarterback. But... Which program do I foresee being out of the Pac-12 race in early November? And and I just have to – I've got to go with what we've seen in terms of resume and put my money on David Shaw and Stanford in this situation. So I'm going to put seven on the Cardinal. Texas Tech, they're home. They're favored against Kansas State. And I knew if I wanted to keep this competition close this week, I would have to take Kansas State here in this spot just on principle, uh, <laughs> knowing you would. So I put nine on the Wildcats. Well, you know, I said a few weeks, a couple weeks ago, I really didn't want to take Bill Snyder again as an underdog, but I would do it because that's sort of my MO. 
but I wasn't confident. And it turned out it worked, actually. He covered, okay? All time as a coach, he's a 67% trend as an underdog. This is the final game of the three I mentioned. Or, again, this the loser of this game is not going to a bowl if you look at the rest of their schedules. So, again, I had to ask myself, at, at, with the season on the line, which coach do you trust more? Cliff Kingsbury or Bill Snyder? This one, to me, was a lot easier call than the previous two. So I'm going with Kansas State and putting 12 on the Wildcats here. Last game of the week, Ohio State comes to Kinnick Stadium. Ohio State a 15.5 point favorite. I think last year, Steve, when Michigan came to Iowa, you know, maybe the Monday or Tuesday before that game, Michigan was a 21 point favorite. One of the biggest uh, home underdog point spreads Iowa had in the Kirk Ferentz era. That game, of course, Iowa won 14-13. I've heard a lot of talk this week about that game. I, I brought it up on Sunday night when we recorded the podcast, uh, talking about this and that. Don't I, I just don't think that that is a, an analog. It's an analog for hope to show that Iowa's been able to beat uh, a, a highly ranked and very good team at home, and we've seen that several times during the Ferentz era when they've not been ranked, and you didn't give them much of a chance. But I think this. Ohio State team is one of the more talented offensive teams. Maybe Penn State is more talented than them offensively, but Penn State had 579 yards total offense against Iowa. 29 first downs against Iowa's 11. They controlled the ball for 40 minutes to Iowa's 20, and somehow Iowa still miraculously was in the game to the last snap. That type of statistical profile typically means you gave up 40-plus points. But Iowa stiffened in the red zone against Penn State. Don't think that's going to happen twice in the same season. I think Ohio State's going to cover this one. Only putting one on it because I just don't like picking against Iowa and Kinnick. Well, and the spread I think is up to 18 or 19 now, last I saw. And I think Iowa has covered three of their last four against top five teams at home, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, It's clearly a letdown spot for Ohio State. Uh, You know, at least what you would conceive of one. And, you know, a trend to watch, we've seen this the first three years of the college football playoff, is teams in the top four struggling to cover the number. All right, this has been a, a, rea- this has been a, a sort of a, a new trend. It sort of showed up in 2014, but the last two years, it's been a pretty pervasive trend as, there's, as, the, as the hype around being a playoff team is sort of set in and it's not – you know, in 2014, people were still getting adjusted to that compared to the BCS, right? You know, mm-hmm. so the last two years, it's really been a pervasive trend. In fact, last year, Clemson and Michigan, you mentioned Michigan and Iowa, Clemson and Michigan both lost as double digit favorites this Saturday, the first Saturday of the playoff rankings. And we saw this go on, um, uh, except for Alabama. Uh, teams struggling when they were in the top four with um, how teams had that put the bullseye on their back. Uh, The problem, so I I could see this being close for a while, but I think the problem Iowa has in this matchup and why I was much more optimistic about Penn State is I thought Iowa was better at the line of scrimmage and that if they could get the game to a mosh pit, um, you know, if if, if they could force Penn State, you know, to use a basketball analogy, if you know, you get Penn State into your gym, the team with, that wants to play up and down with the athletes and the fast tempo style, if you can make them play a half-court game, 
you've got a chance to make a shot at the end and pull the upset. And I thought, you know, that applied in that matchup. I don't believe it applies here because I think not only does Ohio State have the superior skill talent, even though Penn State's is better, but Ohio State's is better than Iowa's. They're better than Iowa in the trenches, too. And I think that's a bad combination. So I, this strikes me as a game that, you know, Iowa hangs around for a while, somewhat similar to the, uh, the Ohio State-Indiana game, maybe. Um, and, then, and then Ohio State uh, puts a couple scores on late, pulls away, and I'm taking the Buckeyes and putting nine points on them with the 15 and a half. Paint me a scenario how Iowa can win this game. Knock JT Barrett out of the game. That's You know what? That's exactly what I thought today. I'm not even joking you. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm not being facetious. I think you have to knock him out of the game. Uh, I, and this guy's won a lot of games, even though last week was clearly the best game he's probably played in his career, at least since his freshman season. But even when he doesn't put up great numbers, he's, he's a leader of men. He's the first three-time captain in the history of the Ohio State program. That says something. So I think you have to knock him out of the game. I do. Uh, and I think you have to start from there. I don't even think plus three in turnovers would work. I mean, Ohio State made 28 mistakes last week against Penn State. What did they do? Just double their yardage and win the game at the end. All right, so if they can do that to Penn State, then I think it's going to take a team that has elite-level skill talent. It could be argued, you know, I watch all these teams every week. I would probably take Penn State's collection of skill talent up against any program in the country, save Alabama's in terms of the starters. Right. So, you know, Iowa doesn't have that level of explosiveness to take advantage of being plus two or plus three in the turnover model as well. So I think you've got to knock JT Barrett out of the game. Another way, another thing is, um, you know, you have some guys make some catches downfield because, you know, Ohio State is kind of weird in what and how they play defense, brother. I mean, sometimes... They, they get greedy, and they decide they want to play that kind of Don Brown, blitz everybody defense. Um, and then when they're really good on defense is what they did to Penn State last week. When they, when they brought five or six up to the line, but just rushed four and let their defensive linemen destroy Penn State's offensive front. Um, so if you're Iowa, I think you kind of hope that they might get greedy and maybe you hit Akram Wadley or somebody else down the field for a big play or two to stun him a little bit and then try to hang around. But I, I really think it's a physical mismatch, John, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that on the Hawkeye no, it's true. podcast, but it's what I think. Totally true, and it's funny you say that about JT, and we're both, of course, talking about you know not like a, a, a mean or illegal no, right. hit. We're just talking about you know a physical hit that does it. Because we both feel that that's the only shot, so we shall see. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Thank you to Exile Brewing Company as well as Heartland Flagpoles and Flags for their continued sponsorship of the podcast. And as always, we appreciate you listening.